Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with jazz trombonist, composer, arranger, and educator Javier Nero. We cover his sophomore released Kemet, The Black Land, featuring the Javier Nero Jazz Orchestra. The album meditates on Kemet, the ancient Egyptian, highly advanced black civilization. We cover this project, surviving COVID, his life and music, and so much more. Enjoy this interview. Good morning. Morning. How are you, uh, Javier? Good. How are you doing? I'm wonderful. Nice to meet you. You too. Thank you, Javier, for taking a minute out today. I appreciate it. Of course. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely. So before we get into your latest album, The Blackland, I want to know, COVID did quite a thing on all of us. And I'm curious how you survived that three years and how it's changed the way that you do things now. Well, like most musicians, um, especially people living in New York City, I was just kind of doing... Uh, at home recordings and stuff like that. I was trying to keep my chops up playing. And then, uh, like a lot of people switched over doing a lot of at home recordings and, uh, stuff like that, uh, to try to continue to be productive. I was also doing a lot of these, uh, um, technically like illegal Hasidic weddings in, uh, in Brooklyn. Uh, that was like another big source of income, um, at the time. And, um, one of the big things that ended up happening is uh, three uh, military job uh, openings like happened in the midst of COVID while I was just collecting New York City unemployment. I was like, well, this is probably the time for me to take one of these auditions uh, with the Airman of Note and um, the U.S. Army Blues. And uh, I was fortunate enough. I actually won a spot in both in both jobs and ended up transitioning uh, down to the D.C., uh, Baltimore or DMV area, as they call it, um, during the pandemic. Um, seemed like the best the best time to do that. I wouldn't feel like I was missing out on anything. And um, yeah, so that was how I ended up coming out on the other end of the pandemic. It seemed like it turned out to be a good, good situation. So talk to me a little bit about the new album. How does it feel now with the world waking up? Things are getting busier. Is there a level of cathartic um, vibes that are going into this? What, what's this release mean for you? I mean, it, it, there's not really much to do with the pandemic on, on this, on this, uh, uh, on this release, it's really just um, a compilation of a lot of music that I've been working on for a really long time. Um, some of the music uh, stuff that I wrote when I was still an undergraduate student back like at Juilliard between 2008 and 2012, stuff that I went back and kind of revised and kind of like brought back to the level um, that I feel is, is necessary now with my, you know, more highly trained ears and uh, arranging technique. Um, and then some of the stuff is a little bit newer. Um, but it's just, it's just an album of some of my favorite compositions, um, that, that I put together. Um, and I thought like work together as a, as a unit. You know? So what are you hoping the listener gets from this album? Well, I mean, there, there is like a little bit of like, like a messaging kind of thing, but not really. Um, I mean, in reality, I, I, when one of the things I really love about music is that it means something different for every person that listens to it. So one person might hear, some of these tunes and think that it sounds cacophonous and crazy. Another person might be, this might be the thing that like makes their day and makes them feel really happy. And um, I just hope that whichever listener, uh, whenever someone listens to it, it just, it just up, is uplifting. You know, I feel like that that's the spirit of my music. Generally, I don't really write super, uh, super dense or dark sounding music. I think that generally the spirit of my music is, is more on the uplifting side and more fun groove oriented. Um, so I hope that that's the, the result, generally speaking. So your debut was called Freedom, released in 2020. 
does it feel good to be past that and to be at a different place right now in your career? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think, I mean, the pandemic really forced a lot of, you know, like personal and professional, um, changes and like in so many people's lives and myself included, I think that, I think I released uh, freedom in 2018 or 20. I can't remember actually. <laughs> I can't remember when I released my other CD. I think it might've been like 2019. So I, that, that was out for like a year um, before the pandemic started. I think I'm actually speaking completely incorrectly about my own album. I think maybe that was released during the pandemic actually. Maybe that's when I finally had the time to, to release it. Yeah, it feels, it feels like it was like another time, right? Oh you man, you think <laughs> it about all that. blurs. It's like it's like the before times, you know. Yeah, uh, that like that movie, The Giver. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, I joked around for a while there when it started. I said BC is now going to be before Corona. <laughs> so, that's pretty good. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> well, hey man, I- I'm curious. You know, you have such a great acumen. You're really, you know, early on in your career. How did this whole jazz journey begin for you? Where were you born and raised, and how did the music begin for you? Uh, I'm I'm born and raised. I'm from Washington State originally. Um, I grew up in the Seattle area uh, in a suburb called uh, Federal Way, Washington. And then um, when I was going into middle school, we moved a few hours south to uh, Vancouver, Washington, which is like just across the river from Portland, Oregon. So I'd say that the, the the general formation of me as a musician kind of came from the Portland area. I used to do um, a lot of uh, music related things. I did like the um, Metropolitan Youth Symphony across the river there. I was also part of um, a conglomerate band that was led by a pretty famous educator named Thera Memory. And he led this program called the American Music Program. It was kind of all the best uh, jazz musicians and hotshots in the area. Um, they would all come together. We got to do like a little bit of touring and stuff. We'd go to all the the big festivals across the country we went to the Berkeley jazz festival. Uh, we auditioned for the, uh, essentially Ellington and we actually won that one a couple of times, um, in the conglomerate division before they allowed us to actually compete in person. So they would send out clinicians. So I'd say like, that was like a really big formative thing. Obviously my high school program was also very, um, was that was very, was very well, um, uh, managed as well. We had like a really good marching band. We, one of those schools, we had two jazz bands. We had three wind ensembles. Um, and yeah, my high school band directors were, were really great too. One of them in particular, I still keep in contact with, uh, Lewis Norfleet, um, uh, who now directs a band in, uh, Southern Oregon. I just went out last summer and worked with his band and played a concert with him too. I yeah. just had Thera Memory on the show a couple of weeks ago and dug into the history and did an expose. So that's, that's funny. You mentioned that name right now. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So talk to me a little bit about who were some early influences on you? Who were you digging on, you know, album wise and vibe wise? Uh, well, ironically, um, one of my biggest influences in high school, cause we were always, you know, most high school band, uh, programs, it's like, it's structured as like a, it's like a team sport almost, you know? So like everyone, like everything for jazz is always the big band. So that's always been like my entry point is like playing in a trombone section playing in a band. Um, and uh, so one of my biggest influence was always listening to big band music. So I think it came naturally that I ended up started writing for that stuff. But the, uh, the airman of note, I, a few of their records, I uh, caught wind of when I was in high school. Um, and I've been listening to them for many, many years. So when the decision, which band to, to choose to, to, um, uh, 
to enter came up between the two, the Airmen of Note and the U.S. Army Blues. That was a tough decision, too, because I grew up listening to the Airmen of Note and their records. Uh, U.S. Army Blues, I didn't know as much about, but it seemed like the gig was going to be a little bit uh, better fit for my for my lifestyle. Um, anyway, sorry, I got off a little on a tangent there. Oh, you're good. Um, but obviously, um, as far as uh, just as a trombone soloist, there were great soloists in that band as well. Uh, but J.J. Johnson, Curtis Fuller, uh, Slide Hampton. I also grew up hearing a lot of Freddie Hubbard and Woody Shaw music in my uh, in my upbringing. My dad's a big jazz fan, too. So he was always listening to kind of more of the 70s uh, Freddie Hubbard records. Um, Red Clay, Bundle of Joy, First Light. Um, and then some of the, the Woody Shaw records I, I remember hearing a lot of, too. So... Trumpet players and trombone players were a big influence on me early, early on. What was the first live jazz show you saw that blew you away? I, I'd have to say uh, one of the first things that I that I used to see every uh, Tuesday night uh, in Portland, Oregon, there was this uh, jazz club called Jimmy Max. And unfortunately, um, the owner uh, passed away a few years ago and the club closed down. Um, but they used to have uh, the Mel Brown Septet, which was kind of like these like local uh, legendary players that all played in that band. Um, and, uh, my teacher, Stan Bach also played in that band. And so I, we used to go all the time, like pretty much like at least a couple times a month and go hear that band live septet four horns with rhythm section. And so I think that that was a huge influence. And I, I, you know, hearing those guys play and hearing each individual instrument that's part of the big band with the exception of the baritone saxophone and hearing those instruments played at a high level, I think that was really inspiring to hear, uh, pretty often as a young developing musician. So as someone that doesn't play an instrument, especially the trombone, I'm always interested. What is, is somebody that's on the inside that's, um, that, that's very well versed with this instrument? What's the best thing about playing the trombone that maybe the civilian doesn't understand? That's like a hard question. I mean, I, I think like music is kind of like this, uh, there's, there's a certain satisfaction with pushing your ability level against what what you can against your challenge level right so like you're you're always trying to find something that's challenging just enough but that you're barely able to conquer and when you're able to do that it gives you some type of like feeling of like victory and i think that's not necessarily the trombone that's just uh just music in general but i think that happens in sports too you know you you don't want to you don't want to pit an nba team against like a high school team where they just completely demolish them that's no fun you want to have like a competition where it's like, who's going to win? We're going to triple overtime. And then right at the last second, you, you win. And then it's like ah, a celebration. And as musicians, especially jazz musicians, I think that we're always trying to push the envelope there. And we're trying to find that optimal level between ability and challenge and surmount that. And in doing that, it kind of, it's like a great like boost. You know, there's something like just that feels great about being able to do that. Um, as far as anything specific to the trombone, um, I think that the trombone has a great sound. I like the the sound of the instrument. And I think I'm not being biased at this point anymore in my career because as a composer, I've had to learn to recognize the strengths and weaknesses of every instrument. Um, and, you know, I think the trombone, like, actually has, has, a, has a, a great sound, has the ability to have uh, a little bit more vocal quality than some of the other instruments that maybe are a little bit more mechanical. Um, and have space between each notes. You know, the trombone is one of the only instruments that can actually fully play like the full 
range of musical tones from start to finish. Um, you know, including all of those semitones in between. So I think that's a special thing about it as well. That's where I was getting that. That's kind of what I was thinking too. There's something very special about the slide. It seems like all the other instruments have very specific levers and pulleys on it, but with the trombone, you got to have this latitude. That's a little, little different kind of the, you know, the metaphor is it's genuinely freedom, which is the cornerstone of jazz. Yeah. I mean, and, and obviously with freedom comes the ability to make really bad decisions too. <laughs> so, you know, so like it, you know, trombone is an instrument that when played well, I think can like, can, can steal the show like against any other instrument. But when it's played poorly, it can, it can ruin the music too, you know, because you have all that ability to hit all these wrong notes and, and other stuff in there. You have to be really precise. You have to bring like an extra uh, element of precision and uh, methodology to how you practice and how you like perfect your technique on the instrument. And I, I think that lends itself to a lot of jazz trombonists have ended up becoming composers and a lot of jazz trombonists sing as well. I think that extra level of having to use your ear in order to produce the sound, um, I think kind of lends itself to that. Kind of like Del Feo. He kind of does that. That's his vibe a little bit. Yeah, he sings. I've never heard him sing before, actually. I, I, you know, I think on his last New Orleans party that came out in 2020, I could swear he was singing on that. And I don't know if it was kind of just that vibe of the New Orleans spirit, just kind of chiming yeah. in with everybody, but it seems like he was doing that on there. Oh, um, cool. Yeah. There's a guy here in Kansas City that puts, um, stained glass within the folds of the instrument. And he came and did a show at the Blue Room. And I can't remember the guy's name, but he's really, well known and he does that to horns specifically trombones so i'll have to find it out and let you know um i can't believe it's escaping me you know the interesting thing one of the first times i ever asked a question like this about an instrument was with ken peplowski i asked about the clarinet i was like what is it about the clarinet for somebody that's not a master on it and he said the beautiful thing about the clarinet is you can go on and on and it has this great sound but if you hit one wrong note you can ruin everything (laughs) (laughs) which is totally true for the clarinet because it can it's like a bad goose honk it can really throw it off off track yeah you know it's interesting too because you know on the topic of the the trombone because i feel like part of what you're getting at is like why did you choose this instrument i didn't choose the instrument i was forced to join band in the sixth grade so but my parents brought home an instrument that they bought from some family friends and like here's the instrument you're gonna join band now yeah yeah so like I ended I ended up kind of coming to love the the instrument over over time. It wasn't like I was like this is the thing that I'm going to do and you know, I probably could have ended up being a decent player on on any of the instruments, you know, assuming I you know, put in the same level of effort, you know. That's the two in one answer right there for sure. Um so let me ask you this, you're a pretty busy guy, you know, you're an arranger, you're a composer, you're a recording artist, an educator, but at the end of the day, out of all of these things that you do as a musician, what do you look forward to the most? What do you love the most about being in this profession as a musician? Well, I mean, I think most people would probably say just like the community and like and the hang, you know, getting to getting to meet interesting people and spend time with them both on and off the bandstand, I think is like one of the great the great parts of this. You know, like I feel like most people, they go to their nine to five job. And as soon as it's over, they just can't wait to leave, you know? And I think for a lot of musicians, you know, obviously it's not true every time you play, 
But most of the time when you're playing a, a gig that you, that you make good music with people, I feel like there's something personal about yourself that's shared on the stage and hanging out with people afterwards and like having a drink and eating some food and like talking, you know, sharing stories about different experiences on the road, et cetera. I think that's like a really great part that kind of like, you know, draws all of us, you know, into staying in, in this community, you know, for a lifetime. Yeah. You know, I know for a lot of people, there's that album, there's that moment that pulls them into jazz. It's like a warm serum that goes on and on for a lifetime. What is that love of jazz that you have? Why do you love jazz? I don't know. <laughs> it's like, I mean, like part of what I said before is, you know, I think definitely part of it. Um, also, I've, I've always kind of had a little bit more of like a, uh, what's the word for it? Like, um, a mind for like more ethereal and, and, uh, like less concrete concepts. You know, I, I like, um, science fiction. I like anime. Uh, I like those types of things and I like music that kind of like lifts us off of like the terrestrial kind of like feeling, you know, when, when I think of popular music, I feel like it's like the point of that music is, is to feed into our very base instincts as, as, as human beings. And they, and like the themes of the music and the way the music feels is usually about, you know, sexuality and, and, uh, you know, and, or it'll be some type of political topic or something like that. Something that's very about the culture that we live in. Whereas I feel like in a lot of like classical music and, and with jazz, it's this uplifting thing. You're, we're reaching for something beyond our world. We're reaching for like the stars and the universe and we're exploring like these more like, you know, wide ranging ideas. And, and that's why it's, it's, it's really interesting because it really allows you to, to kind of think and zone out and be taken out of the world for a moment. It's like a nice reprieve as opposed to be, let me listen to this hip hop song with like a super heavy beat and, and listen to all the things that are going wrong right now. You know, sometimes yeah. it's, it's nice to be taken out of it. And I think that the sound of jazz, I think it, it generally does that. Um, our version of the more, you know, terrestrial sound of, of the earth in the jazz world is, is the blues. I think that's like the, like the, the down home thing and everything else can still expand off, off from that into those kind of more, you know, spacey type uh, sounds. That's, I love that answer, man. You know, and I think that's one of the reasons why I like the, the, the whole idea of jazz more because of, I mean, I like vocals. I get into it, but I prefer to have just the instrumental because then you can float. You can float in that warm cosmic ether that just takes you to all kinds of different places. It's like an open ticket to the universe, you know? Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, totally. Um, speaking of this kind of dreamy state that we're in right now, let's say we get off the phone, time machine pulls up in front of your house. You can hop in to the Jazz DeLorean. You punch in the digits. You can see any show anywhere, anytime. Where are you going? Oof. Maybe I'd like to see uh, John Coltrane Quartet at the Village Vanguard. You know, yeah, or or, or see JJ uh, uh, Johnson perform live. Never got to see him. Yeah, um, I didn't get to see Curtis Fuller play um, when he was in his prime either. Uh, I'd love to see like the Art Blakey and the Jazz Messengers play live. Yeah, 
um, Duke Ellington Orchestra. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, there's, you know, obviously so many, but those are some of the ones that come to mind like, right away. It's funny you say Art Blakey. Yesterday, they have this series in Kansas City down at the Blue Room called the uh, Thursday at Noon. It's a free show. It was done during the pandemic and they would broadcast it out. But now it's live and they have cats that come in and perform for an hour and it's kind of they have interviews. So I'm walking up and there's a, a, a friend of mine who's a wonderful musician, Dan Thomas, and he taught with Bobby Watson and Bobby's standing there. And it was kind of an a- extra treat to be able to see Bobby on stage. So I was just then when you said the messengers, it's like, that's the one thing. My son was with me. He's 18. And I was like, you just saw a legend today. All right. You know, so it's pretty yeah. cool to, to have that opportunity in Kansas City to still see, you know, legendary forces that are out there that are um, part of dream gigs, perhaps, for sure. Um, so everyone out there has a perception of you, family, friends and fans. But ultimately, you're in control. You're in charge. What's your perception of you? Who do you think you are? <laughs> uh, I don't know. That's a, that's a tough question, I guess. Um, I don't know. I'm just like, I just feel like I'm a a normal guy that plays the trombone and writes music. You know, that's that's like how I would see myself. Um, and I think that's probably the way other people see me once they get to know me. I think that maybe, you know, the way the whole Instagram world and the way people present themselves like in public, when you're doing concerts and stuff, you kind of tend to appear a little bit larger than life. And I think people probably perceive me as like, Oh, look at this guy who thinks he's, you know, this big shot and, you know, whatever, always wearing the fancy suits and doing all this stuff, you know, but I think generally speaking, once people get to know me, I think maybe their conception of who I am is probably similar to mine. I'd like to believe that, but who knows, you know? Right. Yeah. 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 And that's the idea of perception. You know, it's interesting. So Javier, if anyone out there wants to pick up this newest album, your previous albums, learn about live shows, anything about your world, where's the best place? Uh, right now, uh, I would check out my website, uh, JavierNero.com. I actually just recently updated it, but I'm going to try to stay on top of it better in the future. But, um, my Instagram is probably the thing that I use the most. So if you want to ca- like check out what I'm doing, um, I would I would definitely follow me on Instagram. It's uh, at Doctor Javier Nero, and that's Doctor Dr. Uh, not the word spelled out. Um, yeah, so those are the two places I'd recommend. When did when did Instagram become the preferred platform? It's wild. Everybody's using it now. I have no idea, and like I resisted it. I resisted it for a very long time, and then at a certain point, I felt like I had to. Yeah, you know, I think Facebook has kind of become like the like the older people's. Yeah. So <laughs> now, well, and, and uh, Instagram is kind of like old people now too. All of these like young kids now, no one's on Instagram. They right. all use they use like TikTok and Twitter. Yeah, you know, it's like I'm never going on TikTok. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, this has been great. Thank you for opening up. There's so many revelatory things that you discussed. I'm glad that we had the chance to connect. I know we had some hiccups before, so we finally get to meet. Thank you so much, man. Best of luck with your career, and I look forward to hopefully subsequent conversations down the line. Yeah, thanks a lot. Oh, I just want to mention real quick, uh, in case this goes out uh, soon enough, but uh, if you're in the Baltimore DMV area, I'm playing a live show of all the music from uh, this current album um, at Keystone Corner on Friday, August 18th. We have two okay. sets, 7 and 9 p.m. 7 and 9.30 p.m. 
and uh, Sean Jones and Christy the Shield will be on the, the gig too as guest artists. Right on, man. August 18th. Right on. Cool. Yeah, I will make sure that we, we get it out there and let everybody know. Javier, this has been great. Thank you again. Best of luck with everything. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks Absolutely. for having me. Thanks for listening and tuning into another Neon Jazz interview. We'll give you a bit of insight into the finest players and minds in D.C., New York City, Kansas City, and spots all over the globe, giving fans all that jazz. Thanks to Javier for his time, energy, and cool. If you want to hear more Neon Jazz interviews, you can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Subscribe to us at YouTube. And for everything Neon Jazz, go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends. Jazz.